Well, when I first became a Christian about 30 years ago, as you guys know, I, I was not raised in the church. I, I didn't hang around Christians at all before that time. And when I first became a Christian and started hanging around other believers, I realized that the church has a language all its own. Tell me if you've recognized that as well. In other words, we use a lot of words that the world or culture doesn't use. Words like saved, sanctified, justified, the blood, the word. We even call each other brother and sister, which is not real common in the world that I grew up in, at least outside of my family. And when I first came to Christ, all of that was a bit confusing to me. In fact, I can distinctly remember the first time that somebody referred to their small group in church. And I thought, a small group? A small group of what? And they said, well, a small group is when I gather with the body. And I thought, the body? Like a dead body? I mean, what are you talking about? And it took me about a few weeks to realize that a small group is when a church this size breaks down into little groups, and the body is obviously the body of Jesus Christ, you and I, that, that make up the church. And so I started to learn what Christian lingo meant. And I've always been a quick learner. And so once I learned that people gathered in small groups, I learned that fellowship meant that you eat, share meant that you gossip, and testify meant that you would tell a really juicy story with a spiritual point. I mean, I get it now, some 30 years later, uh, what Christian lingo means. And if you ever have any question about what people are trying to say, ask me. I I'm fluent and proficient in Christian language. Now, a few years uh, after, or a few weeks, I'm sorry, after I became a Christian, I heard another term that I heard over and over and over again in the church that I've since become very good friends with, and it's the term missions. I heard a lot when I started hanging around church people. We had a missions department, a missions ministry, a missions committee complete with a missions pastor. Our people took mission trips to interact with our missionaries. We had a missions budget. We had special Sundays in which we emphasized missions. I mean, it didn't take me very long to realize that the church is really into this thing called missions. And yet again, because I had been raised in a relatively secular and non-church background, the only thing I ever associated that word mission with was that show Mission Impossible, remember that back in the 70s, or in watching one of those old westerns, a mission would be a big building in the desert that the Catholics built in order to reach out to people. That was about the extent of my understanding of the term mission. And yet, here's what I've observed some 30 years later, and that is that though now I fully get what we mean by missions and how it plays out in the life of the church, I find that many people, including many of you in the pews, are hard-pressed to give a clear and cogent definition and description of missions, even though we might have progressed beyond our understanding of it just being mission impossible or a stone building in the desert. In other words, though, most of us have some idea what we mean by missions. I'm not sure that the lion's share of us could communicate it really clearly to other people beyond the fact that missions is simply when we send a bunch of people to other parts of the world to do something in Jesus' name. And so what I want to do before we go any further this morning is give you kind of a brief primer on missions. An introductory lesson, if you will, that I hope will get all of us on the same page as to what we mean and more importantly what the Bible means by the concept of missions. And so if you brought a Bible with you this morning, we're going to look at one verse and one verse only or one passage and that is found in Matthew chapter 28 beginning at verse 16. So if you brought a Bible, turn there right now, Matthew 28 beginning at verse 16. Uh, the context here is that it's the very last words that Matthew will write 
It's some of the very last words that Jesus will say. Jesus has already been resurrected. He's just about to ascend into heaven. And let's read what happens next. Read along or follow along with me. Matthew 28, beginning at verse 16. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, I have preached this passage before to you guys before. You might remember it. A couple of years ago, I did a message on the mission of the church called God's Dream for the Church, and we took a detailed look at this passage. And one of the things that I taught you that I want to remind you of is that the only operative verb in all of verse 19 is that little phrase, make disciples. Some of you might remember that, the little phrase, make disciples. In other words, out of all the different action words in play in Jesus' words here, and there are quite a few of them, words like go, baptize, teach, and observe, only one of them is a verb, and that's the phrase make disciples. All the other ones in the original Greek are what we call participles, which are action words, but they're action words that all surround the main verb. And so the main action that Jesus is communicating to you and I here is to make disciples. And the reason that that is so important is because the heart of what we call the Great Commission, which is what Jesus is giving us here, is to make followers of Jesus. In other words, to win them to faith in Christ by going to them, leading them to Christ, and then baptizing them, and then building them up in their faith by teaching them and showing them how to follow Christ, and then sending them back out into their culture for it to be a self-perpetuating mission where they can win others and build them up in their faith as well. And it's the mission of the church. This is where we get it from, Matthew 28. We call it Win, Build, Send. It's to make disciples and make disciples of those who become followers of Jesus. Now, what I didn't focus on, however, when I shared all this with you a couple of years back, was an equally important part of Jesus' commission here that also involves just two words, but two very important words. And those are the words, all nations. Do you see that there in verse 19? The words, all nations. It's the Greek phrase, pantata ethne, and it's an interesting phrase. Bear with me here. By itself, this phrase could mean all Gentiles instead of all nations, and that would be a subtle difference. Sometimes the Greek word ethnos simply means Gentiles, all non-Jews. And so what Jesus would be saying here, if it meant all Gentiles, is that our mission is simply to reach as many people as possible, no matter where they might live, all people that are beyond the borders of Israel at that time. And yet, you see, folks, it's not that simple. Because though ethnos can mean Gentiles, it can also mean nations. And the difference between all Gentiles and nations is that nations are clustered groups of people with their own distinct culture and language. And when ethnos is combined with panta, the Greek word for all, as it is here in verse 19 of Matthew 28, this tips the scales in our understanding and interpretation of this word. It now leans more toward the understanding of nations, not just Gentiles, but distinct people groups. 
Hence the translation that you have before you in the English Standard Version. You'd also find the same translation in the New International Version, the King James Version, and the New American Standard Bible. Because nations here doesn't just mean all other people, though it does mean that, but it also means people groups, distinct clusters of people in different cultures with different languages, which means, now don't miss this, that the mission that Jesus is giving us here is to make sure that this good news gets out to all different nations, tribes, tongues, and people who live on planet Earth. And the reason that this subtle distinction is so important is because you and I can easily feel good about our mission if we, if we happen to saturate a particular people group, like we've done in America here, or in the Western world in the last 500 years. And we might even share the gospel with a very high volume of people by doing so. But if we aren't sharing the good news with all the various people, groups in the world, the nations, then listen, we aren't fulfilling the Great Commission. That's why this distinction is so important. Two little words that explode into a huge meaning, this idea of all nations. That's what Jesus was after. And so once you latch on this idea of differing people groups that Jesus wants the gospel to go to, the question becomes, well, how many people groups are there in the world? And I'm glad you asked. Look up here on the screen. Uh, as you can imagine, with all of our technology today, we know a lot about demographics. And the Joshua Project is probably one of the foremost projects to try to understand how many people groups, distinct nations there are, nations in the way Jesus used it, um, in the world today. And they've estimated, well, they've not estimated, they've said that there are 16,567 different nations or people groups in the world. 16,000 plus. You'll see in parentheses right next to that the figure 11,680. That's from the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest Protestant mission organization, and they tend to be conservative on all levels. And so their understanding of the different people, I'm glad some of you caught the subtlety in that, so they, their understanding of this is a little bit less, and the discrepancy comes in because, you know, when you're looking at a couple of different tribes, say, in Africa, that seem to have similar cultures to them but distinct languages, the question is, are they two different people groups or one? And so they tend to not always agree on their interpretation there. But the reality is, is that it's a minimum of 11,680 and upwards of 20,000 different people groups in the world today. Now, here's the stat they all agree on. And that's that there are at a minimum 6,800 different people groups that have been completely unreached. They know nothing about Jesus, which means that the percentage of unreached people groups in the world is a minimum of about 41%. It could be as high as 58 or 60%. To put this in raw numbers for you folks, give me another click here, guys. Uh, the world population is 6.73 billion people as of right now. The number of unreached people in groups is 2.74 billion, taking the conservative number, which means that the number of people in groups is 40 the number of people in unreached groups is 40.8% of the world's population. Now, let that sink in a minute. Upwards of 40, maybe even 50% of the world's population have never heard boo about Jesus. 
And yet you and I live in a nation where no matter who you are, there is a very, very good chance that you're going to hear about Jesus some point in your life, right? Whether you grew up in the inner city or in the suburbs or in rural America, whether you're black or white or Asian or whatever, it doesn't matter. Most likely you're going to hear something about Jesus just by living in the western half of the world. And yet the reality is, is that there are other parts of the world in which there are totally unreached people groups. And now you see the immensity of the task before us and why this idea of missions is so important. And now and only now are you ready for a very clear and simple definition of missions. And though it's not without some holes, this is the most simple and understandable way I know to put it, folks. And here it is. Look up here on the screen. Missions is defined as this. It's planting churches where there are none. That's what missions is. Planting churches where there are none. You know, over the years, I've, I've seen lots of different definitions of missions, and every time I read a new one, no matter how technical or sophisticated it sounds, I think to myself, nah, it's just planting churches where there are none. So Donald McGavern, who's probably one of the foremost experts on missions, says missions is an enterprise devoted to proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and to persuading men to become his disciples and dependable, reproductive members of his church, planting churches where there are none. Stephen Neal says, missions is the intentional crossing of barriers from church to non-church in word and deed for the sake of the proclamation of the gospel, planting churches where there are none. And then George Peters in his biblical theology of missions says it probably most technically, I love this, he says, missions is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in gospel destitute areas to win converts from other faiths or non-faiths to Jesus Christ and to establish functioning, multiplying local congregations who will bear the fruit of Christianity in that community and to that country. Say it with me. Planting churches where there are none. These are good definitions. They're all correct. But if you can just latch on to one simple phrase, you're going to get missions forever. And that is that it's planting churches where there are none. And so here's our goal. I love this. This isn't my own. I got this in my research. The goal of missions is a church for every people and the gospel for every person. That's what we're after in missions, is simply to plant in indigenous churches in places where there are no churches or where the church is really weak so that through that church the gospel would be offered to every person, almost like it is here in America. That's the goal of missions. And over the years, I thought, well, what makes missions distinct from other different works in the church? Have you ever thought about that? Because eventually you can say everything is missions if you want to. You can say paving our new parking lot is missions because it contributes to the work of the church and we can save money for overseas and get more people here and therefore it's missions. Not so quick. There are five components, folks, that make missions, missions. You might want to write these down if you're a note taker. Give me a click here. Five components, they all begin with C, so they're easy to remember. Missions is cross-cultural, it's Christ-centered, it's compassion-focused, it's conversion-driven, and it's church-empowered. If you ever want a filter that you can put something through to say, is this legitimately missions or not, these are the ones. So notice first, for in order for it to be missions, it needs to cross a cultural barrier, right? Usually a language barrier. I came to Jesus through an organization called Youth for Christ that in Cleveland and in the Midwest especially works with the youth culture and helps lead them to Jesus. Technically speaking, Youth for Christ is not a mission. It's not. 
It's a wonderful evangelistic parachurch organization that we should support and give money to so they can reach more kids for Jesus in order to get them involved in the church like they did me. But because it's not crossing a significant cultural barrier, and some of you are thinking, well, have you met my kids? But no, don't go there. Because it doesn't cross a significant cultural barrier, the reality is it doesn't qualify as missions. It's evangelism. It's great. It's not missions. Missions, notice secondly, is Christ-centered. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. We lift up Jesus across this cultural barrier so that people might come to him. It's compassion-focused. Jesus said, you give a cup of cold water in my name and you're in the right to be heard. Missions has always been relief-oriented, or it should have been, so that we might win the right for others to hear about the gospel of Jesus. It's conversion-driven. In other words, the end goal of it is to lead people to Jesus so that they might then start their own churches. Folks, it's really not rocket science. If one person comes to Christ, you got a disciple. If two or three people come to Christ and start to meet together to worship, what do you got there? A church. And so the reality is, is that missions at the end of the day is empowered by the church, you and I, sending people and going over there in order to help establish churches there. Why? Because we're planting churches where there are none, so there might be a church for every nation and the gospel for every person in that nation. And so here's the deal. We have a missions ministry here at our church. In fact, it's a very big part of our church. We support dozens of full-time missionaries who are involved in planting churches where there are none. We have a mission staff who work regularly with our missionaries to make sure that they are focused and encouraged in their arduous task. And probably most important, don't miss this, we regularly send out people, ordinary people from the pews, just like you, to all parts of the world where they take a week or two out of their busy lives in order to help plant churches where there are none. And the things that they do are varied. They might be involved in child care, administration, direct preaching of the word. They might be involved in building a facility. There's lots of things that we do, but it's all toward the goal of helping to build churches where there are none, or plant churches where there are none. And so this past spring and summer, you need to know about 300 plus people from this church, comprising more than 20 plus teams, have been all over the world. Africa, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, the Middle East, Mexico, Indian reservations, and other places Again, doing everything from relief work to preaching to discipleship training to counseling to working with kids to building facilities, all for the purpose to help there be a church for every nation and the gospel for every person. And so before we go any further here this morning, what I want to do is have you look up here on the screen and uh, you're going to listen to a song. We're going to give you some video vignettes of just what happened this past spring and summer through your brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe even through you here in our church. As we play this song, we're going to have people come out representing those teams from the country, showing the flag of the country they went to, to give you an idea of the breadth of the nations that we minister to here as a church. And then I'll get back with you.
sing until the whole world hears. So I mentioned before, we have a, a really big missions uh, ministry here in our church. Uh, in two years, we're going to be celebrating 50 years as a church. Can you believe it? 2012 marks our 50th year anniversary. We've got some huge things planned. Uh, and yet, 48 years ago when this church started, uh, it started with a, a real passion, a biblical passion for missions. And, and so over the years, as the church has grown, obviously now to a very large church, we've grown commensurately in our passion for missions as well. And so we have a church that gives a lot of our resources to not just Scottsdale and Phoenix, though we give a lot here, but also to the nations, because that's what the Great Commission is. Uh, the guy who heads up our missions ministry is named Fred Beasley, and I'm going to ask Fred to come up here right now and to share a little bit with us about his journey in our missions ministry. So welcome Fred up here on the stage. Yep. Now, I just got to tell you, Fred, I mean, he, he looks so pastoral right now and normal, but 40 years ago, I didn't know him then, 40 years ago, this dude was living in Portland smoking things he shouldn't be smoking. And, uh, and, and Way oversharing. Way oversharing. But uh, it's true, and I only share that because um, God has wrought an incredible change in your life, and you have an amazing testimony of how you know, when you were in high school, probably nobody thought you'd be a missions pastor, let alone a pastor, and yet here you are now heading up, uh, you know, hundreds of people and, and dozens and dozens of teams that go out all throughout the world ministering in the name of Jesus. So why don't you tell us, Fred, about how you got involved in that, a little bit about your story and what's led you up to this point. All right, thank you. Uh, well, once they all get over what I was smoking and... <laughs> <laughs> um, Thank you for setting me up. <laughs> you know, um, before I became a Christian, I, I had a heart of passion and, and real concern for people, for people who were uh, uh, downtrodden, the poor, and, and particularly in our cities. Um, I worked in Boston in the inner city in Dorchester um, with a, a group of young boys who were fatherless, and I'd spend uh, my afternoons with them after school. And, and from there, I moved on to Chicago, and I, and I taught in a school, uh, an alternative school system, where uh, young men and women who had uh, never finished high school uh, got kicked out for a lot of good reasons. Uh, people who had just come out of prison and never finished any their education. Uh, so I was able to pour into their lives and teach and, and help them. Um, and then I moved to Oregon, and in Oregon I worked in a place called the Children's Farm Home, and that was a place where the state took delinquent kids out of their parents' homes and placed them in this residential facility. And the state had this great idea that the, uh, the, the girls' home needed a man that was a, uh, a role model for these girls because they came from bad homes, primarily. And so what happened is I got to go in there. I became that man, and um, I became all of those girls' father who they really didn't like. Mm. It, was a, it was a hard time. It was a hard uh, uh, work for me. And, and I came to the point there where um, after all of these work with all these people across the United States um, and with these girls, I realized, you know, I really don't have anything to give them. Mm. I, can, I can control their behavior to a degree. Um, I, I can make sure they're healthy and they're okay, but I can't bring hope to their lives. 
Um, and so I, I really became kind of lost in that. Um, coupled with, uh, Kristen became a Christian about a year and a half before I did. And so um, I would go to, uh, she'd go to church every week. I'd go on Easter. Um, and this particular Easter, there's a missionary there. His name is Paul Decker. And Paul is a doctor, a missions doctor <clears throat> in Africa. And he just poured out his heart for Africa and his love for the people and, and his, his whole story. And when he got done, Kristen and I were going home and I said, okay, Kristen, do you think I could be a missionary and go to Africa with Paul Decker and not be a Christian? <laughs> trying to work all the angles, you know. Um, <laughs> the answer was obvious, and you know, really, those those circumstances, those two particular events, really moved me uh, to give my life to Christ, mm. Him to become the Lord of my life. Um, I thought uh, I was going to be a missionary. I went to the Philippines uh, that next summer, came back, and I was ready to go. And God had another plan. Mm. God brought two boys into our lives that we adopted that became a very significant training ground in our lives. And God used that to, to break my heart, to mold my heart, to help me understand even more about the needs of hurting people. Mm. Um, and then in 1987, Western Seminary moved to Phoenix, and Kristen and I began, began seminary. I got my master's degree. Kristen got her master's and her doctorate. And I went to Mexico, and I worked for seven years as a missionary. And in 1997, Scottsdale Bible called. I'd been a member of Scottsdale for, since 84. Called and said, um, Fred, would you consider coming joining our staff? And my first response was, no, thank you. I really love what I'm doing in Mexico. Um, they pursued, uh, were persistent, and, and a long set of circumstances led me to saying yes, and I know that was the right thing mm -hmm. to do. Um, but I became as the pastor of, out, of um, adult ministries. So I oversaw the enrichment classes, the small groups, and uh, men's ministry. And I said to Kristen, I'm never going to tell anybody this, mm. but the job I really want at Scottsdale Valley Church is the missions pastor. Mm. Well, three years later, Daryl comes to me one day and he says, Fred, would you ever consider becoming the missions pastor at Scottsdale Valley Church? <laughs> And I said, yes, I would. And he said, well, do you want to go pray about it? I said, no, I've already done that. So <laughs> you just figured it out. No, just kidding. <laughs> but anyway, that's and, how I got here. And so for the last 10 years, you've been our missions pastor. And, and I know, Fred, that you've done an amazing job. Um, as, as I said to these folks, you're one of our strongest team builders on staff here. You, you've just built dozens and dozens of teams of lay people. And we've been able to become involved in some significant areas around the world. Talk about all nations. Um, mm -hmm. We're involved heavily in Tanzania, where we have uh, dug wells and built schools and work with local churches there to help the gospel to become even more prominent. Uh, we're involved a lot in Eastern Europe, especially since the fall of the Soviet Union. We've gotten mm -hmm. involved in a lot of the uh, countries there. We're involved in Mexico in a very heavy way. And so uh, the teams we sent out represent those areas and others. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us a little bit about just what the Lord is doing and what you're excited about this past spring and summer, and then even just some of the new areas that he's leading us mm. into. Okay, thanks. 
Yeah, we sent out 22 teams to uh, 13 different countries. And, and my goal is, is to send our teams out alongside of our missionaries so that we're supporting them where we've sent them to, to minister and to work. Um, Jamie, I, I love the local church. It's my passion is to see God raise up the church to reach the nations. And so part, a big part of what we do is to invest in national leaders and pastors, equip them, train them, uh, give them the resources they need to reach their communities. So I'm very excited about the many ways we've been able to do that. You know, Wayne and Bev Leaston um, and a team of marriage ministry went to Slovakia this year. That was really, well, for the last three years, that has been really exciting to see how they brought together 50 key pastors and their wives from throughout that country and for over three years trained them on how to lead a marriage ministry in the local church. Yeah. And now they've turned it over and there's actually a, a couple that has taken on that job full time in the country of Slovakia and doing conferences for the nationals there. It's so exciting to see us be able to build in yeah. and equip the people like that. You know, um, part of, like you say, building a team, part of my passion is to release the church to do the work of the ministry and, and to raise up the body to do that. So when I, when I had this dream of uh, doing something in Africa and sending people uh, uh, to, to Africa, my idea was that, you know, I love missionaries. We're going to support missionaries forever, at least as long as I'm here, and invest in them. But I also want to see the people of the congregation, you all, be involved in missions. And so the idea was as we sponsored kids, as we sent teachers, as we sent doctors, as we sent different people, that you all would go and be, be the missionaries. Hmm. And so we have 700 more or less people that have engaged in that ministry and are out and involved in it. Um, I, you know, I could go on and on. I, I love what we're doing in Mexico, constructing churches, again, building into the local church. Yeah. Uh, I took a group of men, uh, three of those guys took their sons. Mm. We worked ourselves to death. They almost mm. did me in. <laughs> and, and it was so fun to just be out there shoulder to shoulder with these guys. You saw the block work going up in the video. But the thing that was exciting is, is that we had been there three years ago and worked on the first church uh, for this missionary family. And when we went back, they showed us the church. It's completed. There was 50, 60 people in there the first time we were there. This time, the church was overflowing. 260, 300 people in the church. They had to plant a new church. Wow. Doing missions. Yeah, planting and churches. And so we got to do, be part of that. That's so awesome. uh, what's new? Well, you're out of time. So here's what I want you to do. Um, I and just you know, Fred, started. I know the thing we pray for for you is more passion. And so... Uh, <laughs> Not at all. This guy, he can't even keep him in his chair. I love it. No, here's the deal. Um, one of the things we can't miss hitting is how can these folks get more involved? I mean, we are involved in so many areas. But, you know, when I look at our, our mission trips, though I'm excited about 300 plus people, mm -hmm. when I do the math, I yeah. know we could be sending so many more. Yeah. And even if we don't send more, which we need to do, even involving more. So how can these folks here today, mm -hmm. after going through this worship, get more involved in what yeah. we're trying to do here? Well, like, like Tanzania, we're, we're developing an outreach into the Middle East. We're going into Egypt. We're going into Jordan. We're going into Israel-Palestine. We're partnering with the Israeli-Palestine Bible Society. We're doing some reconciliation work. We've got lots of teams going into that area of the world. I want you to go. I want you to see what mm. God's doing Amen. in the Middle East and be part of that. 
Um, we want to send out teams all over to our missionaries again this year. Out here, we've got uh, teams that went last year. Uh, Kelly Schondelmeyer's put together a list of teams, places you can go, places you can get involved, different kinds of ministry. And then lastly, we're, we're excited about Western Europe. You know, yeah. you and I went to Hungary to a conference and uh, working with Tyndale and Cambridge, working with uh, a Ravi Zacharias ministry, thinking about apologetics into Western Europe where the church has really um, lost its passion for Christ and to be part of that. And so basically you can use any type of passion, any type of gift, just a, a willing heart and a heart that wants to share Christ with the nations. Yes. Cool. We can. Give it up for Fred. Thank him for being up here. Amen. Part of my goal as your pastor is that I would love to see every one of you, and I mean this, every one of you at some point go on a mission trip. One or two weeks out of your life, I'm telling you, it will change your life. I, I used to think, you know, because I'm so rabid about my particular culture, I used to think years ago, 20 years ago when I became a pastor, ah, mission trips. And I didn't go on one for like eight years when I first became a pastor. Can you believe that? I was a pastor. I didn't go on for eight years because I was so concerned about Detroit where I was ministering and all of that, which is good. Finally took a trip to Mexico, changed my entire perspective, changed my view of the Great Commission and everything and how God can use me. And I came back even more fired up than when I left. And I want that for each of you. So please do uh, pray about that and ask the Lord what he would have you do. Now, we have um, about 10 minutes left in our service. Some of you clock watchers know that and you're wondering what's next. And uh, I don't know if you, some of you come from smaller churches. I did. And one of the things that I miss that we did a lot in our smaller church was what I call prayers of the people where we'd have people actually stand and in the worship service uh, just engage in sentence prayers. Sentence prayers meaning shorter prayers, so we give as many people a chance. And I want to do prayers of the people today as we end our service today. So what we're going to do is that Tom, why don't you come up here, is going to put a microphone right here. And Margie, where are you, is going to grab a microphone and put it right here. And uh, what we're going to do is invite you down uh, as we just play a little music in the background to, to pray for missions. So give me a click here, guys. Uh, we're going to have you pray for three things. As you pray for the nations, you're going to pray for them that God would reveal himself to them, that the eyes of their heart might be enlightened, as the book of Ephesians says, that, that the gospel would go out and that people would respond. You're going to pray for them. You're going to pray for us, for us as SBC, that we would hear and respond the call, that each of us would hear and, and respond as God calls us to go to other places or even to be involved in supporting the going. And then lastly, pray for our missionaries. We support almost 60 full-time missionaries that are involved all over the world, and so pray for their provision, their protection, their passion, their encouragement, that God would use them. So that's a little guide for you there. Um, I'm going to kick us off here to pray right now, and then we just invite you to come down, line up here at the microphones, and again, try to keep it really brief so that plenty of people have a chance to pray if they feel led. This is prayers of the people. And, uh, and then I'll close us when the time is right. Now here's the deal. Because we got another group coming in after this, we have our third service, I, I do have to close us at a certain time. And so if I close us right before you're going to pray, do not send me an email because I, I, I have to do that. God knows the intent of your heart. He hears your prayers, and, uh, but, but we have to just let the other group in here too. But let's, let's have some meaningful time of prayer right now and see how God leads. So as I'm praying, feel free to come down to the microphone. Father, I thank you for your goodness and for your grace. We've sung about it all morning, for the fact that you are good, that you can be no other. 
And Lord, the greatest evidence of your goodness is that in our sin, you sent us Jesus, that in our lostness, you came and found us. So Father, I pray that as we now lift up prayers to you for the, the, the missionaries around the world and for the nations around the world and for us who need to go, God, I pray you'd hear our prayers now because we come to you in the name and in faith in Jesus. Lord, Lord, keep these people safe. They're doing right things for the people of the world and they have our support, our love. Help things even here in America and in every country across the world to improve as each day goes by. Lord, we pray for the teachers of Tanzania. Um, give them wisdom and strength and compassion and love for the students. just shower your healing power of mind, spirit, and body upon all the people involved and give us the heart and soul and desire for missions. <laughs> Lord, I just thank you for all those people that have, have um, answered your call in their hearts to go serve you overseas. Lord, I just pray that um, you would just create a passion in the hearts of all those people who call SBC their home, a passion for missions and evangelism. Mm. Dear Lord, we just pray that our country be lifted up because we're in such dire need of real Christians. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven. And then when they turn from their wicked ways and heal their land, our land needs healing so we can send out the people with a clean heart, raise up the Jeremiah's and Nehemiah's and Daniel's and raise up brave Christians, Lord, to take back this country for Christ. Amen. Father God, what could be so more um, clear than the message that was given to us today? Father, I pray that you touch our hearts, that you will open us to step out and go on these mission trips and um, get not only what the country has, but the, the change in the heart of us, your people. Father, I specifically pray for Barry and Abir Cordova, Father, over in Jordan. Father God, I pray for your hand of provision and blessing upon them, your hand of protection. And for the rest of our missionaries who have gone out from this church, Father, that you would continue to provide their every need, physically, spiritually, emotionally, and mentally, Lord. In Jesus' name. Lord, I just pray for the uh, provision of each one of these uh, women and men here today. That they would be driven by the Holy Spirit. That they would be pushed outside of their comfort zone to, to drive forward that we may rise in your name to the nations, Lord, that we may press forward and uh, share the gospel amongst the nations, that we would be uh, driven to be more by becoming less. Say this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord, I pray for the people that are lost that don't seem to know you. I pray that right now you'll be softening their hearts to the truth of the gospel message. 
I pray, Lord, you bring laborers across their path to help them see their need for you. Lord, I pray for us as a congregation. I pray that you will, um, I pray, Lord, that you will give us an eternal perspective, a perspective that says that the things that we have of this world are all yours and they're, they're fleeting. But Lord, I pray that you'll help us use our resources, our time, our talents, and our treasure so that, Lord, we can, we can share you with other people. And I pray, Lord, for our missionaries. I pray that you'll protect them both spiritually and physically. I pray that you'll encourage them so that they know that the work that they're doing is not in vain. And I pray, Lord, that you will give them peace and joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Father, there's incredible power, I think, when we band together as the church and all agree upon these things. Lord, so many of us are used to praying in smaller environments, which is really good. And we know, Lord, in those smaller environments that when two or three agree on something, you hear that prayer and you move in a special way. So God, I pray that as we have all agreed here today on these things, that you would send us, that you would use us, that you would convict and prod us, that, Father, you would use the ones that are already on the field and protect and provide for them, and the Father, for the nations, that you would open their eyes, that they might see Jesus and respond in wholehearted faith to him. God, we agree on these things. And so, Lord, I'm very encouraged today, and I look forward to what you're going to do in our midst as we continue to bend the knee to you, giving you the rightful way in our lives, giving you full sway in our lives. Father, it's good to pray to you. It's good to do so as a church. And we do so only and always in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And the whole church says together, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. We'll see you next week.